It's the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder, pastor of North Shore Vineyard. Today on the podcast, part 14 of our series on the book of Philippians, Letters from Prison. Today's message is entitled, The Kingdom and the Empire, where we're going to be con- contrasting two different types of approach to the Christian life, or life in general, that of the empire, or that of the kingdom. I think you're going to find this talk very helpful. Hopefully we'll be challenged by it, and there's some great questions to consider at the end of the talk as uh, we go into the coming weeks. Also, I wanted to thank everybody who came out to our service at the Greater Covington Center for Easter last weekend. Great to have a building where we could stretch out a little bit and saw a lot of new faces. And we do ask for your prayers as we're looking into some new buildings. Uh, so hopefully we can alleviate the overcrowding that we're having on the weekends. So just something to throw out there in your prayer times. Well, that's all I got to say. So let's head to the talk, North Shore Vineyard Church, downtown Covington. Just set this up again one more time. If you're if you're new to here, we call this this um, series "Letters from Prison" because this the book of Philippians. A lot of people don't realize was a prison letter. It was a letter from from the Apostle Paul to a church that he had started in Philippi, which was a, a city in Rome. And so he writes to them in verse two, I mean chapter two, nineteen through twenty four. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that. I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Lord, this morning we ask that you would adjust the perspective of our lives, that we could be a people oriented around your kingdom, your purposes, your rule, and your reign. Speak to us and change us on the inside today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Uh, Some of you may not know, but a few years ago I had a band and I was going to Southeastern. Do we have any Southeastern alumni in here today? Woohoo! Go Lions! All right, yeah. Boy, that's not very impressive in here. Okay, well, uh, I went to Southeastern over in Hammond and, uh, and got a really useful degree in history. And uh, so if this church thing doesn't work out, I might become a historian. Um, there's a, a need for that in this troubling economy. Uh, the history industry hasn't been hit too hard. So, uh, <laughs> But when I was going to school, I had a band, and we, we would... Uh, often play around Louisiana, and then when the college breaks happened, we would travel around the country and, and play, and, and on occasion, we actually got asked to open for a few national bands, and this was pretty cool, uh, because we always looked at it as a young band that was trying to get our name out there and, and get more people to buy our CDs and like us. Uh, we, uh, 
we looked forward to these times of opening for other bands is like, wow, you know, these people are coming to see the main band, but they're going to hear us and they're going to be like, this is the most amazing band. And, and so that's kind of the, if any musicians in here ever have those delusions? Okay, I'm sure, yeah, Barry, Barry gives me a witness. Yeah, uh, every band has this kind of thing. And so the only problem is when you're in that mentality, you are making the gig all about yourself. And you're, you're forgetting, you're, you're kind of getting a little bit delusional there. You're forgetting that people are not coming to hear the opening band. You don't usually come to hear the opening bands, right? Opening band is kind of something you suffer through because you're there to see you 2 or whoever else. And, uh, uh, but as a, a, an immature young band with ego issues, we you know, kind of put ourselves in more of an adversarial role with the with the main band, you know, we're their competition. We're going to, we're going to upstage them and show this audience who's the real musicians. And because we were in that mentality, we made a lousy opening band, you know, because we were trying to upstage the main band because we thought we were better than them because we were trying to draw attention away from them. We were really a bad opening band because truly the function of the opening band is not to upstage the main band. It's to be an appetizer for the opening band. It's to uh, create an expectancy for the main attraction. I, I, I heard a guy one time talking about the best opening band that he'd saw, uh, seen. Uh, seen? Um, James Taylor. We're in Louisiana. Whatever works, right? Uh, uh, he saw James Taylor one time, and the, and the band that was opening for James Taylor, he said they were the me- most amazing opening band. They were musically proficient on their instruments, but he said that you could tell that they were fans of James Taylor. So they're out there, and the whole time they're playing, they're talking about, ah, we can't wait till James Taylor gets out here. This is going to be great. And so they were feeding that excitement of the crowd who didn't come to see the opening band but came to see James Taylor. And then at one point in the show, the band decides to cover one of James Taylor's songs. So they rework it, and they do their own little version of it. And then... You know, their show was done, and they're like, everybody, welcome James Taylor, the guy y'all came to see. And, and the excitement was really building in that place. Then James Taylor gets out there. He does, you know, part of his show on acoustic guitar. But then he invites the band back out there. And it turns out this band that opened for him ends up being his backup band for the rest of the gig. And he said this was the most amazing opening band because they realized what an opening band was supposed to do. It was the epitome of what you want an opening band to do. They set the stage. They, they tied into the anticipation that the crowd had to see the main act. And then when the main act gets there, what do they do? They join the main act and they support him. Well, I, I start off with this analogy because this is really kind of a picture of what kingdom ministry is. Today, the... the, the uh, title that y'all have on the slide. I have to look at the slide because I change my titles all the time. But uh, the kingdom and the empire. I want to contrast two different ways of doing ministry. And we can see them in this passage where Paul talks about Timothy. There's the way of the kingdom and the way of the empire. Now, I've experienced both types of ministry in my years of ministry. I've been a part of empire builders. And empire builders you know, some of the first churches that I was a part were, they were all about their own prestige, their own prominence, their own power. They wanted to dominate the culture around them. And, and kind of uh, people existed to further the empire. You know, if, if, whether you're part of Rome or a part of a church that has that mentality, people just exist to make this thing, to propel it on. You know, kind of the machinery of it all. 
But what we see with kingdom ministry, we see it with Jesus, we see it with John the Baptist, we see it with Paul and Timothy. We see that kingdom ministry isn't about power over people and controlling people and trying to force them into your way of thinking. Kingdom ministry is power under. It comes in serving, in love, in humility, in relational things. I mean, just look at Jesus, the king of all kings. How does Jesus the king do his ministry? Does he walk around with a sword saying, you know, Barry, believe in me or I'm going to smite you? I've been using smite a lot lately. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. Jesus doesn't do that. Rather, he... He finds 12 knucklehead disciples, you know, most of them fishermen, ex-tax collectors. I mean, not the cream of the crop here. And he pours his life into these guys and he brings them with him. And, And he shows us what kingdom power looks like. It looks like serving, loving. It looks like relationships. It's it's discipleship. And so that's why I want to keep these two things in mind today because as Christians, as members of North Shore Vineyard, we can take the mentality of the empire because that just comes naturally to us, right? You know, just uh, that, that, that's how we're all wired. Or we can let Jesus transform us and take the mentality of the kingdom and kingdom ministry. If, if you're not familiar with the story of Timothy that... Timothy that Paul refers to here, you can find bits and pieces of Timothy's story all throughout the New Testament. He's mentioned in Acts. Timothy actually got two books dedicated to him. Paul wrote two letters, First and Second Timothy. Um, and so they made it into the New Testament. And then we find references to him all throughout the, the letters of Paul. But Timothy was, was an interesting character. Paul, it, it looks like Paul probably took him into the ministry when he was like a teenager. And Paul just begins bringing him into his life the same way Jesus brought Peter and John and the, and the other disciples into his life. And, and, and we tend to think of the discipleship of Jesus as being, you know, all these sermons and miracles and stuff. But a lot of the ministry of Paul, a lot of the ministry of Jesus, it's those times that, that don't seem all that spiritual but really are like hanging around a dinner table, doing life together hiking from one place to the next. And Paul, in this letter, he's kind of writing a letter of commendation because from all, all, in all accounts, what we can see of Timothy is that he was a little shy, a little timid. We got anybody that's shy in here? That, that's silly to ask shy people to raise their hand, right? <laughs> well, Timothy was a little shy, probably a little insecure. You know, I mean, he, he started traveling with Paul as a youth, and then Paul sends Timothy to to help out with all these churches that he started from scratch. I mean, imagine trying to fill Paul's shoes. I mean, this guy wrote half the New Testament, and you, you want me to go, like, pastor the people in Philippi? What, Paul? I'm just a, a kid. But Paul is telling, what, what does Paul tell him? He says, I have no one else like Timothy who will show genuine concern for your welfare. Timothy may not, you know, by most accounts, Timothy probably wasn't a charismatic type A go-getter kind of guy. But Paul says, he's got what he needs where it counts. There's nobody else that I know that will show genuine concern for your welfare. See, empire builders, we find those all the time. They're, they're very, a lot of times, you know, an empire builder will be a very charismatic 
you know, get things done kind of person and people flock to that gifting. But an empire builder doesn't care about you as a person. They care about the empire. And Paul is saying, Timothy, he's not an empire builder. He's a kingdom person. And there's nobody out there like him. I trust him. He may not be all flashy. He may not be the best communicator. He, he may not have the, the outward appearance of some major leader, but he's got the very thing that you need right now, and he will care for you. A lot of the other people out there, they're in it for their own position, their own prominence, their own prestige, but not, not Timothy. So in a way, this is kind of a letter of commendation. Paul is sending this letter to the church to say, look, Timothy's coming. Don't let your first impressions fool you. He's the guy for the job. What we see with, with Paul here, what we see in kingdom ministry, and I want to kind of look at a, a, at a few of these ideas of kind of the opening band through, throughout the New Testament. We'll come back to Paul and Timothy here in a second. But what we see in the ministry of the New Testament, whether it's John the Baptist, Jesus, even Paul and Timothy, kingdom ministry is many times what I would call a ministry of decrease. Now, John the Baptist, you know, remember him? He's this character that, he was a wild dude, wore camel hair, ate locusts and honey, and, you know, prophesied out in the rural areas, but developed quite a following before Jesus comes on the scene. And, you know, hundreds of people would go out there to see him and get baptized by him. But after a while, Jesus comes on the scene, and Jesus' ministry all of a sudden starts to flourish. People start going out to hear Jesus and, and they, they hear his teachings and Jesus you know, could do cool things like you know, feed the 5,000. So it was hard to compete with. And so John's disciples come up to Jesus. You can read this in John uh, chapter 3. I think I've got the reference there. John's disciples come up to, to John one day and they said, John, you know, uh, Jesus seems to be getting all the people over here. He seems to be all popular. What about us? I thought, you know, what about our ministry? And I love to kind of paraphrase what John says. John's, John's basically saying, look, we're the opening band here. My whole ministry, the whole reason I am here is as a good opening band. I'm here to prepare the way for the king, the Messiah. And guess what? He's here. And so what does John say? He says, Jesus must increase. I must decrease. My role is an opening band. And once Jesus shows up, I will be in a supportive role. I'm not going to compete with him because I'm not about that. So we see that with John the Baptist, but we even see this, this mentality with Jesus. We see that Jesus, doing kingdom ministry, he wants to develop followers that are not dependent on his physical per- presence in the room, but he wants to develop followers who learn how to depend on the life of the Spirit of God. Jesus spends three years with these 12 guys and then at the end of three years he's down to 11 because one of them has betrayed himself betrayed him and, and gone off and committed suicide and so jesus in matthew twenty eight nineteen he gives the great commission go into all the world and make disciples what's jesus saying he's saying the same thing that i've done with you guys pouring my life into you hanging out all this time the meals the ministry the the conversations the doing life together same thing that i've done with you i want you to go into all the world and do that with other people but what Jesus says, he, he says, I'm leaving you. John, John 16, I believe, I got the reference in there. He, he says, I'm, I'm going to leave you guys, but I'm not really going to leave you because I'm going to give you my spirit. He says, I want you to, to, to go to Jerusalem and wait, and, and I'm going to, to send my spirit to you, and my spirit will be the helper. 
He will guide you into all truth. He will give you the power to live the same kind of life that, that Jesus lived. Jesus did his whole ministry as a human being connected to God. And Jesus is saying, I'm inviting you into that kind of life that you can experience the same kind of life that I did in my ministry, that you can be empowered by my presence. What is Jesus doing? Why did Jesus say, I mean, why did Jesus leave them? I mean, why did Jesus go back to heaven? He says, it's good that I leave you because I'm going to teach you how to live the same kind of life that I did. So they go and they end up experiencing the, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And, and they learn not to be dependent even on a physical person, but to be dependent on the life of God. So even Jesus had a ministry of decrease, so to speak. I mean, how, how does Jesus get people to be more dependent on God? Well, Jesus wanted them to depend on God the way Jesus depended on God. And so Jesus, a, after he's poured his life into them, after he spent all those years, and I, I just, I, is anybody else blown away by this, that, that Jesus, after he spent three years with them, three years with working class guys, none of these guys had seminary degrees or business degrees or anything, and then he's like, okay, y'all take, I'm taking my hands off, you're on your own. Is that, I mean, is that, that's crazy to me. I mean, I don't know anybody that I would spend three years with and leave in charge of anything, you know? <laughs> I mean, much less a bunch of rural fishermen, you know? I mean, I mean, think of Louisiana. I mean, you go, go grab, you know, a bunch of fishermen around the areas, pour your life into them for three years, and then I'm going to leave the entire fate of the church, the kingdom of God, and the world in your hands. See you later. Is that, like, ridiculous? But that's the way of the kingdom. Jesus is not a control freak. Jesus trusts what he's done with them, and he takes his hands off and says, you're going to have the Holy Spirit now. Talk to him. Invite him into your life. Be empowered by his presence the same way I was empowered by his presence in my ministry. And Jesus takes his hands off, and he trusts him. Crazy, crazy talk, Jesus. We also see this with the Apostle Paul. I mean, Paul planted churches all over the Mediterranean, all over Asia Minor. And, and in Galatians, uh, there, there's a scripture in Galatians 4.19 where Paul says, I labor, he's talking to the, Galatian, the, the church in Galatia. He actually wrote that letter at the same time he wrote Philippians, same prison. And he says, I labor, he's using this picture of a woman in labor. He's like, I'm laboring that Christ would be formed in you. If you're an empire builder, you tend to make people who are codependent. I mean, you can see this in governmental structures. You know, empires, a government will foster codependence. People need the empire to take care of them and all this stuff. Kingdom builders are like Paul. I'm laboring not that you would become dependent on my presence, but that you would have Christ formed in you. You would, you would learn the life of the Spirit of God. All that I'm doing, ugh, like a woman in labor, is so you could actually, I could take my hands off and trust that you can make it. That's a little bit pit, different picture than we get in church sometimes, isn't it? Uh, maybe it was just me. I, it seemed like a lot of the churches I grew up in uh, weren't like that. They fostered codependence. I want these people to need me. I feel so good to be needed as a pastor, and I need people to feel needed. And, and if you have any problems, you call me. 
That's not Paul was, what Paul was after. Paul was saying, I want to develop the kind of life that when you get in situations, you don't just call me, you actually call God, and you learn how to work out this thing. And not only that, but you can actually give something to other people, and you can start mentoring them and discipling them and helping them learn the life of God. It's the ministry of decrease. Now, how have I experienced this in my life? I'm going to give a couple examples. Uh, Some of you may not know, I I served on uh, staff with a church, uh, the vineyard down in uh, Kenner. I think they're calling it the New Orleans Vineyard now, so I've got to change the name. But uh, the New Orleans Vineyard, they... uh, it's the Kenner Vineyard while I was there. I'm just going to call it that. But uh, I, I served on staff there for about six years, uh, seven years as, as the worship pastor, or worst pastor. Is uh, <laughs> we got this guy at our last service, uh, Ricky, who has a very thick accent, and they used to come to the Kenner Vineyard. And well, I guess it's not thick to any of y'all, but for somebody from West Texas. Uh, uh, I used to come out each weekend and say, hi, I'm Crispin, the worship pastor here at the Kenner Vineyard. And the whole time, Ricky and his family, and they were all here this morning because we dedicated a baby. The whole time, all of them that were coming to the Kenner Vineyard thought I was saying, I'm the, hi, my name's Crispin, I'm the worst pastor. And, <laughs> and they're like, why does he say that every week? Is he, just, is he really humble? Uh, we finally cleared it up one day. But when I was the worship pastor down in, in Kenner, I experienced... I experienced kingdom ministry really for the first time in my life. I'd been a part of a lot of churches that I would call empire builders, but for the first time I got to experience ministry in a way that I, I believe was, was really genuine, authentic, and, and it was kingdom-based. And, and Phil, the pastor down there, he really mentored me for a few years. And uh, you know, one aspect that I can uh, talk about you know, was, was just on speaking. Now, this is maybe not the most spiritual aspect, but this is one of many aspects that he, he mentored me in. But, uh, you know, it was, it was about a year after Katrina, they turned me loose speaking for my first time, and they gave me a whole six minutes. They're like, okay, we're going to give you six minutes to talk in the context of this message where you got two other people talking. See if you can do that without running off half the crowd. And, and I did that. And so I did my six minutes, and they're like, okay, he's been faithful in this. We'll give him a whole, a whole service. And so a few week, you know, a couple months later, they give me a weekend service to do, and and I stressed out about that like crazy. I revised my notes, sent them to Phil. He revised them and sent them back. And I I must have practiced that first message twenty five times, and it still wasn't that great. When I go back and listen to them, I'm like, oh man, that that was painful. But Phil, after after those after those services, he would talk with me and 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 work with me about hey, what was good about this? What was bad? What jokes do you need to not say in church? And uh, uh, <laughs> what terms should we stay away from? And um, what I found is over over a period of time, they kept turning me loose and working with me, you know, releasing me into that ministry a little bit, and then 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 walking with me through it. And I found you know after year or so of that, I, I actually started getting better at it. And then, you know, after two years, I, I was, they were turning me loose once every couple of months to speak. I became a regular part of the teaching team. And so finally, when we stepped out to plant this church, of all the things that I was scared about, speaking in public was not really a big fear at this point. And I know a lot of church planters who are like, man, that's the most terrifying thing. But I, I wasn't scared about that because I'd been mentored in that. I've been discipled in that. I'd been, I'd had someone do life with me, help me along that journey, 
and release me bit by bit. And, and, and finally, Phil could step away and say, I trust. I trust what God's done in your life. I trust everything that we've covered. You can do it. You're on your own. That's really the place that we want to see people get. I, I, as, a, as a pastor, I don't want you to become dependent on coming here to the weekends or, or my messages. I want you to learn how to hear God yourself and, and grow in that. I, I think it's great if I could send you out anywhere in the world and you can thrive. I actually, while this was going on with Phil, there was a, a guy that came to our church probably about a year after Katrina, a little, maybe not even a year after Katrina, a guy named Ronnie. And Ronnie comes up to me after he'd been attending our church for two couple months, and he says, hey, look, uh, I'd like to volunteer to help with sound. I know something about sound. And I'm like, great. You know, churches can never get too many people who know something about sound. So I said, all right, let's go talk. And so we started talking. I was like, I found out he played guitar professionally with Rock and Doopsy down on the South Shore. I was like, yeah, oh, cool, man. I was like, you play guitar? I was like, I play gigs outside of church. Um, I, I still do occasionally, but back then I had, I was doing a couple of gigs a month. So I was like, Ronnie, why don't you come sit in and play with me? And so he, he ends up coming to a couple of gigs and plays, and, and I, I sensed something right off the bat that, that God was doing something special in this relationship. I just felt like God put it on my heart. Pay attention. Invest in this. I'm doing something here. I didn't feel like God was t- telling me to take him on as a project or that there was some, you know, but pay attention. And so I started getting Ronnie over the next year. He, he started just becoming a regular part of my gigs, and then I got him to start playing guitar up at the church, and then... Found out he could sing a little, so I let him do some background vocals. And then after a while, I'm like, why don't you lead a song? He's like, well, I've never led a song. I've never led a band before. He's never been the lead singer. He's always been the cool guitar player. And I said, well, you know, we'll work with you on it. So we turned him loose leading a song. And then after a couple of months, I turned him loose leading a couple of songs. And then let him lead a whole worship set. And the whole time, we're doing life together. We're spending time together. We're having a lot of late night conversations over chicken fingers, you know, after a gig and uh, uh, praying with each other, hanging out. But finally, it got to the point where I, I actually, when we decided to, to step out and plant this church, when just, we decided it was time, he'd actually been leading three of my six bands on the South Shore for about six months. He'd gone from just being a guy that walked in I mean, it took about three, three and a half years. It was a long process. But when we decided to step out to, to, to move across the lake and plant this church, it was cool because the church began looking for somebody to replace me as the worship pastor there. And they had guys audition from all around the country. People submit their applications. And they realized at the end of the process, our guy is right here. He's been raised up right here in the church. And so in a sense, I worked myself out of a job. Ronnie has taken my job on the South Shore now. And I, and I don't say that as if, I, I don't want to say that what I did was anything uh, amazing. Because really, it didn't feel like anything amazing. It didn't feel like anything earth-shattering like, like Moses, like, like Ronnie, you are to be my, my disciple and, and I'm going, you know, it was, it was really natural. It was just like spending time with a friend bringing them into your life, and not a whole lot of agenda, but it was neat to see that in this whole process, I was being mentored, and I was mentoring someone else, and we could trust what God was doing, and now here I am across the lake, actually pastoring, and I've been mentored in that, and I feel like I've been prepared for the job. I mean, 
I've, I've got a ways to go. <laughs> Ronnie has a ways to go too, but we're all in that process. And so I want to close by asking a couple of questions today. Number one, we're going to revisit a couple of these, but how, I put this on your, on your thing, and I, I put the question from first person, first person tense, so uh, you're asking this question of yourself, okay? <laughs> how am I experiencing kingdom life? Number one, as a Paul, as a mentor. Number two, as a Timothy, as one who is being mentored. And the third thing is, what do I have to give? Now, I'll start with the what do I have to give question. You may be in here this morning and you think, oh, that's great, ministry stuff, I, I hear you, but you know, I don't have anything to give. Come on, I mean, I just, I work a regular job and, you know, I'm maybe a housewife or whatever. You may think, I don't really have much to give. Well, let me tell you something. Every person in here, every one of you has something to give. Everyone. I'll put a few examples here real quick. If you have been successfully married for 10 years and you still love your spouse, dude, you got something to give. You do. Right? Can I get an amen? Amen. And there's plenty of couples that have been married one, two, three years who, if they could just get around a couple who's been through it, not, not to take them on as a project, but just to know that I'm not alone. These fights we're having about money or communication or whatever, we're not alone. And I think back when me and Dana got married, we were, we were just pretty much alone for the first five years, just slugging it out, trying to figure out how, how the heck to make this thing work. And we didn't, didn't think there was much of a chance it was going to work most of the time. And by the grace of God, we're still here. But boy, if there had been a, just a couple, not a brilliant couple, not somebody that has, you know, doesn't have to be Dr. Phil, but just somebody that's actually made it 10 years and still loves each other. If they would have spent time with us, that would have done amazing things. You may be a mom in here, and you've, you've successfully made it through the first five years of having a kid. Dude, you've got something to give. You think of how, I mean, I remember when Dina first became a mom. She went through, uh, that first year was just incredibly hard for her. She had postpartum depression, you know, all kinds of issues popping up just on becoming a mom, you know, and, and she was alone. And I'm thinking it wouldn't have taken much, but just one other mother who had been at least through a few years of being a mom to come alongside her would have done amazing things in her life. When I, when I say kingdom ministry, it's not, you don't have to make it into being the person up here on stage or, or, or leading a Bible study or something like that. It can be, all I'm asking you to do is to think about how can you open up your life to some other people? Now, I don't want everybody to go out and say, you know, look, look for your project today. Like, oh, I found your person, you know? I, I find most of the time these mentoring relationships, whether you're mentoring someone or being mentored, you don't even usually know it because you haven't taken the person on as your project or you don't feel like a project if, you're, if somebody's helping you out. It's, it's very relational, and it's just being intentional with your life. You may have some, some ideas. You, some of you in here may be good at business. Anybody could be mentored in business a little bit better? I, you know, I could probably use some ideas in that. I found in, in my life, just a, a simple thing was, was music. 
I've never thought of myself as much of a music teacher, but I realized a few years ago, like, I've been playing music almost my whole life, and I got a lot of experience. I could probably give something to people, even though I can't teach guitar lessons. So I started helping doing musicians' clinics three or four years ago, and just helping... Look, I'll show you what I know, you know? I'll help you with whatever I can give you from my experience. I just want to ask you, what do you have to do? What do you have to give? Just think about that. You don't have to answer it all today. But ask yourself that question this, this week. And then the other question is, number four, are there, relations, are there relationships in which I should invest more of my life? Think of, again, is there anybody in your life right now that you, you sense that God is doing something special there? I got to say, in all my years, I haven't really discipled a whole lot of people the way I did Ronnie. You know, I, I got to spend a whole lot of time with him, and you know, he happened to be in a place in his life where he didn't have a whole lot of commitment, so we, we, I could spend more time. But I realized that that was a special relationship. And I don't think God's calling... I mean, we don't find too many other Timothys in the Bible. Timothy was a special... He was a rare individual. So was Paul. And in your life, you may have... You may have one Timothy in your whole life, maybe two, but are there some relationships you feel like God is calling you to invest in right now? I find in a typical year, there are times in my year where God says, hey, look, this, this person over here, I think you need to invest in that relationship a little more right now for the next few months. And it may just be a few months. But as I do that, I find... God at work. Ask, ask yourself, are there, where, where do you need to invest your time? And so I'll go back to the top two things. How are you being mentored in your Christian faith? How are you being discipled? I know a lot of people, discipleship, it's a, it's a weird word. It's, it's, it, it, I've, I've definitely experienced some negative connotations with that word. But I can tell you back in, it was probably about 2003, I had really realized that much of my Christian walk had, be done, had been done alone. I'd, I'd just been trying to be a good Christian, trying to read the Bible, trying to be committed, but I was doing it all by myself. And finally, I realized at one point that, that God wanted to break me out of that, wanted me to, to have people in my life that I could be open and honest with. And, and I was like, okay, God, I realize I need that. I don't even know where to start, though. And so I just started by praying, God, would you please put some people in my life? And God didn't answer my prayer in two weeks or two months or three months or four months. About six months, finally, I get, get one person in my life. And I was like, God, please. And, but I got to tell you, from that first moment, God started breaking me out of my solitude, my aloneness. I have never been alone since then. I, I'm ruined. I don't want to go back to that kind of Christianity. And I got to tell you... I don't care how much you pray or read the Bible. If you're doing it alone, you are not going to grow as a Christian because God, God didn't create you to be that way. Our slogan here is life connected. And that's not just a cute little slogan. I, it's, I, I believe it's the absolute truth of God that we have got to be people who are connected to other people in our journey. And so I've got a few people who've mentored me over the years who still continue to mentor me. And I talk with them once a month, maybe once every two months. But I know these people are there for me, and I know they value me, not for what I do, just because I am, just because I exist. We need people like that in our lives, people that aren't trying to use us, but just want to see God birthed in our lives. So who is mentoring you? 
Second thing is, who's, who's your Timothy? Okay, yeah, maybe you don't have one major Timothy, but, but who are you pouring your life out to? See, we went to the, we went to the, um, to Israel. My, my dad's visiting with me today here, and me and him went to uh, Israel a few months ago, and we got to see the Dead Sea, got to float in it. You're super buoyant in the Dead Sea because it's so filled with minerals. And they call it the Dead Sea because there's absolutely nothing living in it, nothing, not even bacteria or fungus. It's, it's a toxic soup. And it's not toxic because it doesn't get any fresh water. It gets plenty of fresh water. It's got a steady stream coming through the Jordan River. But it's toxic because it has no outlet. It's always receiving but never giving. And so it's become dead. And I got to tell you, if, if, if that's your Christianity, if, if all you do is, is receive, if all you do is, is, is listening to, to these messages on the weekend, no matter how brilliant they are <laughs> and insightful, <laughs> if you are not bringing other people into your life, if you are not giving of yourself to other people, you're going to be dead on the inside. The same thing goes for if you're not being mentored in your faith and you're always giving out to other people. And I've been there before too. If you're always giving and never receiving anything from other people, then what you're giving is going to be shallow and ineffective. And and pretty soon you're just going to be faking it because you're running on empty. Who is your mentor? Who are you pouring your life out into? And I don't expect you to have answers with these, but I think we need to ask these questions this week. Let's wrestle with these. God, who, who, who do I need to spend more time with? Who, who do I need to allow more input into my life? I need to stop doing this thing on my own. Who can I give more time to? This is the ministry of the kingdom. And, and I just encourage you. I, I really i got to tell you, a a lot of Christians don't understand a thing about the context for life. We understand things like we need to read the Bible, we need to pray, we need to show up at a church service. We we think of those things. But if your life is not lived in a a context that you were created to live, then all the truth you get is not going to matter. Because it's truth out of context. What we see with Jesus, what we see with Paul and Timothy, what we see all throughout the New Testament is these were people who were connected relationally with one another. They were receiving from God. They were giving it to other people. And that process just keeps repeating. I want us to be kingdom people. I want us to be a good opening band. I want us, when when we see people here in this church that are growing in the life of God, when we see them begin to get the life of God in them and start to hear from God, that we don't try to control that and manipulate that and use it to our own advantage, but we step aside and say, great, Jesus is here. Let's support that. Anybody want to be those kind of people? Yeah. Let's stand.
Father.